like I said before that I was mostly an individual contributor. So then I had to really, when starting a company, learn how to think long-term, how to think about roadmaps. And in our case, the way to work is running experiments, right? So every single week you define experiments, you define different goals that your model is supposed to achieve. The problem here is that I guess in comparison to the typical software engineering, you cannot force an experiment to do what you want it to do. So that makes planning interesting and challenging. My name is Maria Meyer, and I'm a CTO and co-founder at Phantasma Labs, based in Berlin, Germany. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Maria Meyer created the tech to make data more human and model pedestrians in traffic. All this and more on Code Story. Maria Meyer grew up bilingual as her mom was from Poland and her dad was from Germany. In her free time, she participates in Olympic weightlifting, which she clarified does not mean she participates in the Olympics. She finds this is a great way to blow off steam. And outside of this, she's a bit of a foodie and loves to travel and try different restaurants. In her words, the way she started her current venture is kind of unusual. Formerly a back-end engineer, she got restless and figured she was as intelligent as other founders she was observing, so she wanted to give it a shot. Through an accelerator, she met her co-founder and built learning models to illustrate how pedestrians act in traffic. This is the creation story of Phantasma Labs, We are a company that heavily uses reinforcement learning, a type of machine learning, and we build models of how human beings move around in traffic. And the application of that is testing new forms of autonomous mobility, such as self-driving cars or you know delivery robots. And the reason why we do what we do is because testing a self-driving car is quite difficult, especially when you know pedestrians and other road users are involved would be very difficult to simply put it on a very busy road and, you know, ask maybe your, your colleague or your grandma to simply cross in front of it for testing because that could, you know, cause an accident. So then the industry relies a lot on simulations like this, you know, the big car companies do that. Also the more famous tech companies use simulations. But when we looked at these simulations, we noticed that, you know, while they are good at showing the world from the car's perspective, they are not very good at um, rendering and modeling how human beings move around the cars. So the pedestrians, for example, in a typical simulation, they tend to only walk on the sidewalk. And I'm not aware, you know, I've traveled a little bit around the world and I've never been to a place where every single human being follows traffic rules or only crosses the light when it's green. So that's why um, we have a different type of approach and we are like a plugin, if you will, to make existing simulations more realistic or enhance them with like the, the human factor, I would say. The way I started this company is probably slightly unusual because, you know, I used to be a data or backend engineer a lot. And after a while, you know, working ticket after ticket, I kind of felt like a little bit restless and I wanted to decide more also the direction of a product. I think I was lucky because I knew two people from my university who went on to start companies in Berlin that also grew to bigger names. And then I thought, you know, I looked at them and I thought, you know, I'm not 
less intelligent uh, than them, so I can just give it a try. And then I actually participated in an incubator program from the United Kingdom. They came to Berlin, they are called Entrepreneur First. And what they are really good at is matching people because I only knew that I would like to try starting a company and I knew I was technical, but I didn't know anything else apart from that. I didn't have a co-founder, I didn't have an idea. So that's how I met my co-founder actually. They put 50 people in a room and give you eight weeks to settle on one person. And if you find that person, then they give you that little bit of initial investment so you can get off the ground. And for me, that was the perfect thing because like I said previously, I was only working in a technical domain. So I didn't have that much business knowledge that really helped me get a start. Okay, so tell me about you know, what would be the MVP. Right. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Right. So I think we have a highly unusual tech stack. The type of machine learning that we do has to train inside a simulator. You know, we are not the typical uh, approach where I think most people, when I think about machine learning, they think about supervised learning where you have a data set and you try to make predictions based on the data set. In our case, it's, it looks like a 3D world, so a simulator that where we use actually a game engine for that simulator. And you have a little agent that looks like a human being that is walking around. I guess some people would say it could look like GTA or something like that. It, the difference with GTA is that we care about the, the physical co uh, parts being consistent with reality and we care about realism. We use reinforcement learning, like I mentioned in the beginning, and it's about an agent to learn how to walk in a human-like manner. So then we have the this game engine part, we use also a little bit of Python, also C++ from time to time. We run a lot of training runs and simulations on the cloud as well. Um, yeah, so that's about our tech stack in a, in a nutshell. So when you're building an MVP, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? About how you're going to approach building it, what, you know, what features you're going to include or, you know, what approaches you're going to take in different areas. So tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to work through and how you coped with those decisions. Like building a model that walks around like a human is, is quite challenging if you think about it because we as a human race are highly diverse. We do all kinds of different things and every single country has different rules and different, you know, cultural habits and all sorts. So in, in our case, I think an MVP, which would then look like one person and one road, no car at all in the scene, and just one person learning how to cross the road, which for us humans is incredibly easy, but for an algorithm uh, to do this in a human-like manner, so that means, you know, walking with a speed that is typical for an average person. And also, I, I just brought up the keyword, another um, trade-off that you have to do, you kind of have to decide, I guess, on the standard human being, like maybe a young person in the beginning, and then later down the line, you'll try to model an elderly person, younger people, like kids, and for example, you know, we also have people with disabilities, and like there's a whole range of things that you need to cover with your models. So in the beginning, the MVP is really, really simple and small. So just, yeah, a person trying to cross the road, that's how it describe it. So then, okay, so for then from that point, how are you progressing the product and how have you matured it? And I guess I'm, I'm curious how you go about building your roadmap and the decision process you go through to figure out, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. That was challenging for me because 
like I said before that I was mostly an individual contributor. So then I had to really, when starting a company, learn how to think long term, how to think about roadmaps. And in our case, the way to work is running experiments, right? So every single week you define experiments, you define different goals that your model is supposed to achieve. Like a dummy metric I could say right now is, I don't know, after a certain amount of time, um, the model should be able to cross the road, let's say, at a certain speed. So then the problem here is that, I guess in comparison to the typical software engineering, you cannot force an experiment to do what you want it to do, right? So it's a little bit more, I mean, I hope I'm not offending any people working in a lab, but if you work in a lab and you have a petri dish in front of you, you can't force the organism to do what you want it to do. So in our case, it's a little bit like that. We run an experiment, we make some educated assumptions, but there are some weeks where the experiment doesn't go at all according to what we thought it would do. So that makes planning interesting and challenging. But, you know, I'm learning a lot. And also, you know, most things that I do, I guess I talk to as many people as I can that are leaders of a machine learning based product. Because there's also, to be honest, I feel like not that much material out there yet, like um, for machine learning specific teams. And this is evolving. So I'm really kind of curious and excited to see where the industry is going in that regard. Well, let's switch to team. Tell me about how you're going about building your team and what do you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? I learned, I think, so much while hiring, especially as a first-time CTO. Uh, that was, I would say, my biggest learning curve that I did. We're a small company. Right now we're 11 people. But, you know, the, I remember making the very, very first hire, my very first engineer, and that was a bit daunting for me, right? So I think in early stage company, one of the most important things to look for in people is do people understand what it means to work in an early stage company? Whenever like I have this application form and I have this small question, which is uh, salary expectation. That's uh, interesting for people, but for me, it's a very useful proxy to see, has someone, you know, read the website, understood what kind of company we are? Because some people, they would write, uh, let's say for a European salary, a six-figure salary, which is, I know in the United States, it's more common because uh, I think the startups are better funded there, but over here, it's not as common yet, right? So then I can see, okay, this person probably thinks we are, I don't know, a big tech company or doesn't have the understanding that we are a small company. Like, of course, I people, pay my people fairly, but I will not be able to pay as much as, let's say, Zalando or Amazon or, or a big player like that, right? So that was really a learning for me. I, I uh, understood that not everyone understands that and can accept also that, you know, because we, for example, we don't have an HR team. We don't have someone that takes care of operations. That's still my co-founder and me handling everything. So we will have probably less perks than a big company will not only work on your predefined tasks, but if something needs to get done, that is, let's say, not strictly back-end work, but maybe, I don't know, uh, front-end work, then in, in that instance, that is what we will need to do. And another thing is, for example, a year ago, we actually switched one big part of our backend to a different type of technology. And then a lot of people had to learn something new on the job. So the second thing I'm looking out for, you know, is a person able to learn new things while on the job. So it's a lot of behavioral things. And in addition to that, because we use more unusual things, I noticed, you know, there's few people on the market that can do those. So what I tend to do when I, I give a take-home assignment or any technical interview, 
I show the candidate a piece of the tech that we're using and then I see, okay, um, how are they able to learn it? I know that 90% of the people will not have had experience with that. So then, you know, I need to think about how can I test for something that most people don't know. So the only thing I can test for is learning ability. For our company so far, these behavioral type questions have been the most important because I believe most people who apply, I mean, they have generally good technical knowledge, right? But I feel in, in really early companies that behavioral component is so, so much more important. And another thing I think is a buzzword, uh, like it's called growth mindset, right? Like how are you able to handle a challenge and grow from it? Uh, it's surprisingly not that much technical stuff, I would say. Maybe it's surprising to some people, but I would say for small companies, it's so, so important how people are able to handle that, right? So, yeah. So let's flip to scalability. And this will be interesting given, you know, the problems you're, you're working on and uh, the way you're approaching it. Have you built this to scale efficiently from, from day one or are you going to be fighting this as you grow? Scaling in our company, I would say, means how good can our model generalize to different geographies, different traffic types, different, I don't know, cultural aspects, maybe. So in our, in our company, scale perhaps means something else than, you know, if you have a web application where it's, it's a lot about how many people at the same time can the web application handle. And we are doing our very best, you know, to think about this from the beginning. But yeah, I'm, I'm honestly very curious to see how that will pan out because it's not yet clear, you know, do we need to kind of at the end of the day have specific models for specific geographies or can we make one model so amazing that, you know, it can work with any type of traffic scenario that you throw throw at it, right? So that's, that's not yet clear, but I'm looking forward to how that will pan out. <laughs> well, as you step out on the balcony, and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? Oh, I think the, the team, uh, for sure, like the types of people that we found. I, I feel so honored, you know, that they also decided to apply and work with us because I mean, we are a company that no one knows. We don't have a brand. We're just this little company uh, based in, in Berlin. And uh, I think I'm really proud of the group of people that we were able to assemble the types of skills, the way, you know, we are a very collaborative team. I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of, of the team that we built here. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Well, I think I make five mistakes every single day. First time I had to actually let go of a person and then, um, which was quite difficult for me. I would say I'm more, you know, I'm a very empathetic person so that kind of went against my own character I would say but it, it was a tough decision that I had to make and then uh, explain to the team why we had to make that decision because you know when you're small then um, if one person has to go then that has a huge impact uh, it's very visible right so then I really had to learn how to explain that to them it went okay uh, according to the circumstances but yeah, this is also a huge learning opportunity, right? From the, the mishires, you can learn a lot what you personally are looking for, what is important for the company and how you can do it better with the next hire. This will be fun to ask. Let's, let's switch to the future. So what does the future look like for the product and for your team? I think for me personally, if, if we grow to a size of, let's say, 100 people, that's honestly something that 
that would be I would be so excited by that. Um, just the fact, you know, kind of giving, um, you know, creating so many jobs. That sounds kind of cool. Um, and you know, having a big team that you're taking care of. And then on the product side, yeah, I would say seeing our model used and having a real impact um, in terms of, you know, avoiding accidents, making mobility safer, making it more sustainable, hopefully. And also I would love to see our industry shift, you know, to that, putting the, the let's say, the, the human actors and traffic more into focus because in our industry, a lot of testing is, is currently happening, you know, on highways because it's easier, but it's also, it would be nice, I think, to also have this realization that it's, it's quite important to think about the case, you know, in interaction with other human beings. Yeah. Let's switch to you, Maria. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person you look up to and why. Maybe I want to uh, mention an author. So I read a book um, about technical leadership because when I started, I didn't know what a CTO is really because I feel like it's the most misunderstood. <laughs> a lot of people think it's like someone that is the best software engineer. Other people think it's a mix of those. And then you have like 10 different definitions and that book, like it's called the manager's path. It's specifically about technical management. Like it starts, the first chapter is about software engineers and then it goes up to CTOs and the author's name. I would pronounce her Camille Fournier, but I think she's American. So maybe she pronounces her name differently. <laughs> but yeah, I would say I look up to her because she personally also was CTO at a startup. And then she describes her experience and also gives that knowledge to other people via her book. We talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? I'm not sure if, if you know, looking back, I would like to change something because of course not, not everything was smooth, but at the same time, I had so many learnings from that. Um, so, you know, like I mentioned previously, when we once had to, from one day to the next, change a significant part of our um, tech stack and then People had to learn new things on the fly. Um, I think I took so many learnings from these experiences. Perhaps one thing to do differently is to stress less about new situations and uh, to kind of just go with, with the flow because, you know, as a founder, there's so many things that you do for the first time. And then I tend to get very nervous around them. And then after I did them, I just realized, you know, it wasn't so bad. So maybe, you know, trusting myself a little bit more that I can handle new things, that would be a good thing to do. <laughs> well, last question, Maria. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Don't forget your work-life balance. You know, don't work all the time. Anyway, there's a lot of evidence these days out there that, you know, taking a rest, taking care of yourself actually makes you more productive. So if you if you don't believe that it is good for you, then at least maybe you can believe that it makes you more productive, right? Which a lot of entrepreneurs care about. Um, so I would really not underestimate that. And then I would also say, don't give up too fast. We've gotten so many no's across the road, you know, in different dimensions. And then after a certain time, you get a yes, right? So for example, in fundraising or other things, the most important thing is that, that you believe in what you're doing and then that you keep doing it. Because there's sometimes also as an entrepreneur, you get 
let's say four bad messages and two good messages in a day. And then you don't know how to feel because they're kind of balancing each other out, right? It, it sounds super basic, but it's really, that, it's really what it is, I think. I think that's great advice. Well, Maria, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Phantasma Labs. Thank you so much and it was a pleasure talking to your audience. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.